0: Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see you. Just add my welcome. My name's James, I lead the team here across all of our different sites and venues and meetings. And uh, it's great to see you this morning. Uh, I hope you feel really at home with us. If you're our guest, you're so very, very welcome. We are starting a new series today in the book of the Gospel of Mark. Okay, if you've got a Bible with you, Mark is the second book in, in the New Testament. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. All the relevant verses will appear on the, on the screen. Mark, uh, kind of in terms of the order of the Bible, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's important to remember that there are four Gospels, not one. And they're each kind of doing different things and each sort of with slightly different emphasis. And so Matthew is kind of concerned with writing to a Jewish audience. Is why there's all these genealogies of Jesus just to kind of prove that he's who he says he is. The, the Messiah, the awaited one, the, the King of Israel. And then you have Luke, who's a bit, kind of written much more as a, a classical historian. It's why as you read this, it's all kind of stuff like, this happened in the reign of, this happened during the time of. Okay, He's concerned with kind of like the hist- history of it in one sense. And then you have John, who's concerned about the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus really is God. So he starts his gospel way back right in the beginning. And it's all kind of, this is who Jesus is. He is God. And then we have Mark who's, to be honest, Mark's not just the shortest, it's the simplest, uh, it's kind of the punchiest. It's, it's, it's probably my favourite for that reason. It's simple and punchy, not the, in, in any kind of... Uh, Ways means violent, but just goes straight from like this to this to this immediately is a word that is used an awful lot of times. And Mark is kind of like this master storyteller who as he goes through his gospel, as we're going to follow this series up until Christmas and then we'll pick it back up again up until Easter, uh, he kind of reveals more of who Jesus is and particularly what it means to follow Jesus. We've given this uh, tight series the title, Mark, a journey with Jesus, because this is what the Christian life is. It's walking with Jesus. It's going on a journey with Jesus. Where he goes, we go. Goes. What, what he does, we do. And so the question really, I guess, is where does he go? Where is he going? What is he doing? And Mark gives us an insight into the adventure. And he used that word intentionally, the, inv- the adventure of following Jesus, And he gives us in these first few verses, we're going to look at the first 20 verses of Mark 1, a revelation of the why of the kind of following of Jesus, if you like, and some not so subtle indicators of the what. And Mark, we're going to see this over the next few weeks, uh, kind of shows us that the first disciples are really ordinary, very earthy, mistake-making people like you and me. And that's really good news, because we're quite ordinary people here who make all sorts of mistakes. And if, and if you're one of those people who think I'm not ordinary and I don't make mistakes, you're so welcome here too because we've got a whole bunch of other people who kid themselves as well. All right? <laughs> so you're so welcome. And we're going to go on this, this journey of, of what it is to follow Jesus. And it starts here. Mark chapter one. This is Mark straight in. No Christmas. No long buildup. It's kind of approximately 27 AD around there. Uh, this is Jesus. Repent believe, follow. Verse one, the beginning of the gospel, just if you're new into church, and every week we have people who are new into church and, and kind of don't know what some of the words mean and all the rest of it, you're so welcome. You're exploring what this faith is, what Jesus is, what this church thing is. Gospel just means good news. It's kind of like the herald announcing good news. It's a declaration that something good has come. The beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God. As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, And he kind of, Mark here quotes, not just from Isaiah, he also quotes from from Malachi 3 as well. And teachers, Jewish teachers kind of would have uh, have been so kind of content and comfortable and know scripture so well that they would very often assume context and merge things together, not quote it directly, because kind of. They knew what the text was saying, and especially if several texts kind of uh, had key phrases or key themes, they would sort of merge them together. Here, the key theme is prepare the way. Behold, verse 2, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Now, it's just important to know Mark doesn't kind of waste words. So when he includes like descriptive stuff, he's, he's kind of trying to make a point here. And in the Old Testament, there was uh, an emphasis that, uh, that Elijah dressed this way. Now, Elijah was kind of big-time prophet guy, all right? And Mark here is wanting us to understand that John is definitely a prophet. He's kind of in the same category. He's a forerunner for Jesus. Jesus later in Matthew 11 describes him as the greatest man to have ever lived. Wow, that's a statement. Wow, but he's still dressed like that. And he preached, verse seven, (laughs) saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, The strap of the sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Wow. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And all good charismatics get all giddily excited. (laughs) And then verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. We just get to see him for the first moment. Wow. The humility of Jesus. Just the length he will go for his people. You see, from Jerusalem out to the wilderness was not a very long way. It was kind of a fairly short distance. It didn't take much effort. But Jesus from, comes from Nazareth, which is a long journey. Actually took some effort. Jesus always takes the long, hard road for his people. He always goes that extra path for his people. He always kind of goes above and beyond what we might expect for his people. And then he gets back baptized. Verse nine, was baptized by John in the Jordan. Wow. This is Jesus who, as we're going to see over these next few weeks, he's, he's sinless. He's never done anything wrong before a holy God. He has no need for the baptism of repentance, but he lays aside his glory on the banks of the Jordan. He associates himself with sinners like you and like me, and he places himself among the guilty, not because he is guilty and not for his own salvation, but because we are and for ours. Wow. Verse 10, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, it's a lake. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Repent, believe, follow. This literally is what it is to be a Christian. That's, that's kind of it in three words summed up. Now, there's all sorts of other words, of course, but repent, believe, follow. Why would these people leave everything to follow Jesus? Because let's be clear, that if you're looking in, this is what it is, right? If you're kind of in and around this, is that really what it is to be a Christian? Yeah, it is. That's what it is to be a Christian, to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. Why would they do it? Look here, it says, immediately he called them, immediately they followed. Now let's just be clear, these, these kind of like weren't poor people in one sense, who had well, nothing better to do with their lives, everything's going a bit terribly. No, it says here that they had hired servants, which means they were doing reasonably well. I'm not saying they were mega rich or anything, but they were doing reasonably well. They had hired servants. They didn't leave behind a business that's failing, and oh, we're about to go bankruptcy. Okay, that's a good move, let's go that way. No, no, they left behind something that was reason- doing pretty well here. They weren't looking to escape from their family either. Like some of you know me because you hear me say stuff about my in-laws and it's all true. But there's not <laughs> but there's not like a oh man, anything to escape from them. What I don't have to hang around with them anymore. Let's go. No, no, no. For those guys in in that particular cultural context, leaving by, behind your family was a big deal. It's like you just don't do it. And yet here they'd left their father. It cost them a lot to follow Jesus. In fact, it cost them everything to follow Jesus. Why would people leave everything behind to follow him? And the answer is because something better is here. Why would any of us leave anything behind? Because something better is here. And to understand this, we need to go back into verse one. Let's look at it. Verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning. Straight away, something new is happening here. Just like The beginning, way back in Genesis, where God made everything and he saw it was all very good. There is now a new beginning happening here. There's a new creative work. There's something new happening that is rooted in something very, very old. The New Testament, just got to be really clear on this, it's not a break from the Old Testament. It's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We can't read the New without understanding the Old, and we can't read the Old without recognizing and understanding the New and in these opening few verses Mark introduces Jesus Christ as the proclaimer and the bringer of the good of God's kingdom. And he's rooting the gospel, he's rooting this good news of Jesus in the very ancient hope of Israel. And the reason that Jesus says that this is good news is because there's bad news. Like it's always the case. I got to say to my kids, there's good news and bad news. They always want to know the bad news first because then they'll measure how good the good news really is. And here's the reality. It's good news because there's some really, really bad news. Look at verses 2 and 3. Mark shows us here how Jesus is good news by pointing back to the Old Testament and saying, here's the truth. There is mess and there is brokenness in this world. The Bible says it's all as a result of sin and we can all see it. We can all see the mess around us. We can all see the brokenness of the world around us but it's not just general mess like generally the world's in a mess. It's also specific mess. You and I are caught up in it too. We're all ensnared in it because we're all broken and messed up and marred by sin as well. Sin is is anything that falls short of perfection in the sight of a holy God. Every single one of us is tainted by it in some way, shape or form. And it's bad news, but it's why Jesus is really very good news. You see, way back in the actual beginning, before sin entered the world, God created something beautiful that was not messed up. And now he's recreating something beautiful, a way out of the sin, a way out of the mess. He's preparing a way. And Mark here in verse 2 and 3 looks back at the Old Testament and says, Hey, Satan, look here. This is this is why this is good, because look at Isaiah chapter 40. Look at what Isaiah says in these first few verses from verse 3 onwards. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Yes, there's mess. Yes, there is brokenness. Yes, there is damage, but every valley will be raised up. Every mountain will be taken down. Healing for the world really will come. Restoration of all things really will come. And then look at what Malachi chapter three says. Behold, verse one, I send my messenger Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Wow. Does mess and there's brokenness, it's bad news. But there is good news, both Isaiah and Malachi say, God is coming to restore his people, and God is coming in judgment to set matters straight. Whether we like it or not, one day we will stand before a holy God. Whether we like it or not, one day someone greater than us will stand in judgment over us. And here's the reality, we have no way of generally making the world a better place. Like we just can't do it. Like We've tried for centuries and we made bits better and seemingly a whole lot worse. And we definitely can't make ourselves right before a holy God, but God can and God does. And the reason that those first followers left everything is that they truly understand that this is really very, very good news. Jesus is here. God himself is here to sort things out. And we understand it to be very good news as well when we recognize that without Jesus, we are in a very, very dangerous place. Without Jesus, spiritually speaking, we're in the wilderness and we are in trouble but wonderfully and here's the wonderful good news of the of the gospel is that it's when we recognize that we're in the wilderness that we're also actually kind of paradoxically both in serious trouble but it's that moment where we recognize we realize we're on the way out of our serious trouble because we're now in a position where it is possible to encounter the one person who can actually make a difference and lift us out of the trouble and get us rescued you see look at verse 4 John appeared back into Mark John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and would be baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins now look at verse 9 Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan wow this background of big mess but this promise that something is going to sort out all of the mess and then John appears in the wilderness and he preaches in the wilderness and he baptizes in the wilderness and Jesus goes out into the wilderness it's in the wilderness that we meet God You see, we see this again and again and again as we read through the Old Testament in the history of Israel again and again and again. Where do they meet God? They meet him in the wilderness. Where did Moses meet God? In the burning bush, in the wilderness. Where did Jacob wrestle with God face to face? It was in the wilderness. Where did Israel meet God? It was Sinai, that's where they became this. Mount Sinai is where they became this people of God in principle and then they spent 40 years where? In the wilderness, learning this stuff that the wilderness is a place that cannot sustain life. The wilderness is a place where all the wells are dry, so it's a place of thirst. The wilderness is a place where there's no bread because there's no wheat, so it's a place of hunger. It, it can't support life. And the wilderness is the place basically where you can't stay alive without the intervention of God. Without the intervention of God, there is no hope. And it's in the wilderness We first meet God and it's where we learn to rely on God. You see, out in the wilderness for those 40 years, Israel learned what we all have to learn, that God is not some kind of add-on to our life. He's not a vitamin supplement that we just take just to get us through what we're doing. And we encounter God when we realize that all other wells run dry, that there's no other food that satisfies, there's no other food that sustains And this is what it is to repent, to turn, to turn away from looking at all the other things that we think are going to satisfy us and turn to the one who only, the only one who truly can. You see, repentance is not about adding God to our lives. I've got this new thing now. It's just going to make everything better for me. Thank you, Lord. No, no, no. Repentance is the recognition that nothing else works. And so we're going to turn and turn to him and him alone. It's realizing that where we're looking for hope, where we're looking for life, where we're looking for satisfaction and salvation, ultimately is truly inadequate because it all in the end runs out. And a wilderness experience happens when you realize that you look at your life and you look at all the foundations of your life and you realize, I'm gonna die without God. This might satisfy for a bit, but ultimately it's not going to. It's not gonna feed me. It's not gonna satisfy and quench my thirst. It's not going to give me what I so desperately need. It's not my career. It's not my family. It's not my looks. It's not my friends. It's not my achievements. It's not my money. It's not any of these things. It's not a great husband or a great wife or any of those things. It's not great kids. None of those things, as good as they all are, none of those things ever, ever, ever are actually going to make me happy. It's not experiences. It's not stuff. It's not possessions. It's not a lifestyle. Every, run, every well will run dry, except for the water of God. Every bit of bread will go moldy, except for the manner of God. And when you realize that, and when you realize without the direct intervention of God in my life, I'm dead, that's when you meet the King. That's when you meet Jesus. And that's when you turn and you follow him. You see, repentance is not about saying a little prayer. Now I'm good with God. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving my sins. Thank you. Now I can get on with my life. I've got God with me now. We sang it earlier. He's for me. Everything's sorted. No, no, no. Repentance is about a complete turn from God to God. A complete turn from the way we're living and the way we've Looked for stuff and the way we've sought to satisfy our hearts. And it's a complete turn to the one, the only one who truly can. Repent, believe, and follow. And here's the thing about repentance it's not a one time thing. Like, let's be clear there is the first moment where you put your trust in Jesus and you become a Christian, and that's it. You're kind of in. In that moment, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you ask for the forgiveness of your sins, that's it. We don't need to keep relaying this sense of, am I sad? not sure. I need to come again. No, this, God wants you to be absolutely sure that you are, everything we sung about in our worship is true of you. If you have confessed your sins, he is faithful to purify And you are considered and welcomed in as a son or as a daughter. We don't keep going over that again and again and again. But repentance, we somehow got to this place of going, well, it's the thing I did at the beginning that got me in and that's it. No, repentance is not just a prayer. Repentance is a turning from to something else. It's a turning from looking away from God to looking to God. And so it's not a one-time thing because if you are anything like me, you continually are taking your eyes off the main thing and looking at other things. And repentance is a moment where we go, God, I'm, sorry. I'm turning away from thinking that if I just get that in my life, everything will be sorted. And I'm coming back again to you and going, no, 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 you're the only one who can truly satisfy. You're the only one who can, who can truly quench my thirst. You're the only one who can truly feed my soul. And John stands there and he preaches, Jesus is here. Repent. Believe, follow. He's like, he stands there and he's literally saying, turn around. Look here. Something amazing's happened. Someone amazing has arrived. And if you look anywhere else, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it all. Look here. And he's shouting exactly the same thing to us today. It's literally, turn around. What are you doing? Why are you looking over there? Some of us are literally looking over there now. It's like, Wake up. You're going to miss this thing. Turn around. Where are you looking right now for joy? Turn around! Where are you looking right now for hope? Turn around! This is John, he's pleading. He said, Listen, I'm pleading with you. I'm saying, Stop looking for anywhere else for security and for peace and for affirmation. Some of us are looking somewhere else for affirmation. Turn around! Because the one whose voice really matters will affirm you beyond anything you can ever imagine. And you're not gonna satisfy that desire for affirmation. Anywhere else other than in Jesus. Turn around. Turn around. But I'm just following my dreams and my career. and Turn around. Like he's... Turn around. Do you understand? Like if he was... He's not... You need to repent and let follow Jesus. Turn around. There's something better. There's something greater. Oh, you're getting a bit heavy. Yeah, because you're not going to see... You can look wherever you want and you're never gonna see it. Turn around, turn around, repent, believe that he is better and then follow. You see, when we do repent, when we do confess, that first time, that moment where we come to Jesus and we put all our trust in him, wow, do we get something amazing. Like, wow, you get all of your junk, all of your filth, all of your, everything that the Bible calls sin, all the mess and broken, you get it removed you get it forgiven. And like the longer you've been a Christian, the more you go, yes, yes, yes. no, it's gone. As far as the East is from the West, it's removed. Wow, you get something amazing. Forgiveness, restoration, redemption, all these biblical words that basically just say, you've been made new, it's all gone. All the, put in the strongest words, your conscience allows you right there, it's all gone. We're saved from something, but hey, guess what? This is even more exciting. We're saved to something. We're saved from mess, but we're saved to something even bigger. Come, follow me is a call right now to a life of incredible adventure with God. It's not some kind of insurmountable burden that Jesus puts on our shoulders, like, you are going to come do this now, behave like this, follow me, do all this. No, 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 it's this incredible invitation from the God who knows all things, who holds all things together, who sustains all things, who, wow, that God says, come follow me, we're going to do some stuff together. Wow, that's incredible. He's asking us to fellowship with him. He's asking us to be with him and join him in what he's doing. And so we shouldn't stand there and listen, oh, come follow me. We should be like, why, where are we going? Faith and anticipation. This is the God who parted the Red Sea. Whoa, whoa. I'm running with a whole bunch of Egyptians behind me. you know it's all good. Oh, no, we get to see what's going to happen. Look what God did. That's the God who says, come follow me. We've got some adventures to go on. That's the God who says, I'm with you and I'm for you. Whoa, what an invitation. Just think about that for a moment. Yes, we've been called to a life of humble obedience. Yes, we have. Yes, we need to rightly recognize and and keep reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done, how he's cleansed us, restored us, forgiven us. We need to keep reminding our souls because we're so quick to forget that. But we also need to remind ourselves again and again and again and again, of what he's called us to, of how he has called us into this great adventure, that which was promised in in Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3, that, that, The world will be healed and the judgment will be coming. So go and proclaim it, go and act it, go and do it. Wow, we're not now left on our own devices. No, 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 we have a purpose now, we have meaning now, and we have a task set before us. History is his, the universe is his, the mission to the whole world is his, and he's included us. Woo, that's like quite exciting. And here's the thing some of us are bored. Nah, that's a ridiculous statement. Look at everything that God is and everything that God's done and I'm bored. I humbly suggest, just like as delicately and gently as I can. Turn around. I'm not even joking, like, turn around. <laughs> God. You. Invitation. Wow. I think we might have missed something I think we might have slightly missed something now don't hear what I'm not saying you're looking in our church there are parts of our church that are flipping boring <laughs> alright I'm sorry there are it's because he's got people like me involved in it no it is like I'm not overly fun sometimes I can be quite boring like ask my wife <laughs> so there are parts of it that are yes but I just want to humbly suggest that the bits that Jesus are really is really involved with is anything but. Because he's about healing the world and he's about restoring and rescuing people. Bringing captives out of brokenness, out of darkness. Whoa! Is there anything more exciting than seeing lives transformed before your life, eyes? Is there anything more exciting than realizing I was once destined for eternal wrath and then God broke in and rescued me for eternal joy? And we're supposed to be a prophetic statement of what is to come, right? So there should be a little bit of joy right now. No, I'm not saying everything's easy. We're gonna see this in a moment, but whoa, this is exciting. John says, verse eight, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. That's mad right there. I'm baptizing you water. He's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, his purpose is not just to save us, but it is also to empower us to do the stuff that he's doing and he has called us to. And Jesus says, follow me. So we go where he goes and we do what he does. And we see that all the promises of God, all of those promises that God makes to His people in the Old Testament, they all find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And now you and I are hidden in Jesus Christ. And so they're all coming to us. That makes things slightly exciting for a moment. So now we're called to step into this story and he empowers us to do it. Now this gets exciting. The Gospel of Mark only mentions God's spirit explicitly six times. Half of them appear here in the introduction, which kind of immediately shows us what it is we're called to. Through Jesus, God is restoring his people and bringing the kingdom of God and he's using us. And in verse 8, John announces the mighty one will baptize others in the Holy Spirit. And immediately after this announcement, we see verse 9 and 10. Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit is coming upon him. Now this is kind of a model, if you like, of what the spirit baptized life will look like. Jesus receives the Spirit first and then he's going to be the one who baptizes others that's us in the holy spirit wow that's a big promise but what happens next is kind of a little bit scary and a bit stunning because look what the holy spirit does immediately after that look what happens the spirit immediately verses 12 13 drives jesus into the wilderness for conflict with the devil wow like just think that through for a moment powerful encounter with the fullness of god being filled with baptized in the holy spirit this incredible moment of the heavens opening and a voice from heaven saying i am well pleased with you wow we'd have like a meetings for months celebrating that and then the very next move desert temptation conflict fight with the devil suffering Like 40 days in the desert, being tempted by Satan. Whichever way you look at it, that ain't fun. (laughs) That ain't fun. Yeah, but Jesus, he was fully God. It's no sweat for him. Yeah, he was fully man, just like you and me. 40 days. I struggle under about 40 seconds worth. 40 days. Here's the point. The spirit-filled life. It's not a life of ease and of comfort, but of conflict with the devil's forces. Wow. The spirit-filled life. Yep, the Holy Spirit has loads of stuff, an assurance of God's love for us, all of those things. Yes, 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 yes. But it's also a life that is spent doing the stuff that Jesus did. Here's what's going on here. Broken mess. God has a rescue mission planned. Jesus comes to make all things new. He comes with all the power and all authority to rescue and redeem. And there's an enemy who does not want any of that. See, Mark straight away, we're just 13 verses into his introduction. Like the others haven't even got warmed up yet. He's just 13 verses into his introduction. He wants his fellow Christians to understand that Jesus' call involves both power yay, and suffering mm. in the conflict with Satan's forces. And the rest of Mark's gospel continues this way. We're going to see this next week, what exactly it is that we're called to join Jesus in doing. But throughout the rest of the gospel, Jesus continues to take on and defeat the devil by healing the sick and by driving out demons, by pushing back darkness and by bringing light wherever he goes. And as we read through, and we know the end of the story, in the end it kind of looks like the devil has won a little bit. Because he manages, it seemingly appears that he's managed to get Jesus killed. But Jesus triumphs from, by rising from the dead. And because he's triumphed, he calls us to follow him and do the stuff that he does. Our salvation is not just to set us free from stuff, it's to empower us to do some stuff. Now obviously we're not Jesus, but we are in Christ and so all that's his is ours and Jesus now empowers us and shows us what this spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life looks like and as we repent, as we turn away from the nonsense that we're looking at and as we turn to him, as we believe that this gospel really is good news and as we follow him with everything we've got, as we step into the story, we see just who Jesus really is and we begin to walk with him confident in what he's done for us and what he's doing and going to do in us you see Jesus Christ went into the ultimate wilderness and lost God so that you and I when we go into our little wildernesses we can find God Jesus took the punishment that we deserve so that we can have by grace a relationship with God and Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit so that we might be equipped and empowered to do the things that he's called us to and sometimes it feels really dangerous sometimes it is but God's always with us. Look at verse 13. He was with the wild animals. <laughs> Mark, don't waste words, right? He's with the wild animals. What's that all about? Well, there's a reason. See, we read back through the Old Testament and we can see that safety among wild beasts shows God's protection. Like Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel 6. He's amongst wild beasts. Like we kind of think it's like some kind of zoo enclosure where they've kind of just had their little nails like manicured or whatever, lions. And it's just like little petting zoo, take a picture. No, he was put there to be ripped apart and the protection of God comes. Ezekiel 34 verse 25 says, I will make, this is God speaking, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. That's a promise of God that finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and you and I are hidden in Christ and so all those promises are coming our ways. We will dwell securely in a land of wild beasts and we will sleep in the woods because of who Jesus is. God is with us. Romans eight thirty one, and if God is with us, who can be against us? few verses later, for I am sure, verse 38, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Wow, where we go, he goes and he's got our back because my dad's bigger than yours. And we're brothers and sisters, so you, we got the same dad, right? It's that idea. You know that thing you do at school? My dad's bigger than your dad. I used to think I was funny until I have kids. I ain't so sure. And I don't ever say that because some of those dads are big. <laughs> but my dad is bigger because he's the one who's made all these promises. And he's the one who whoa, has invited us in. This is so very, very excited. And Jesus says later on in Mark, office, as the father sent me, that is how I send you. How did the father send him? He sent him as an agent and as his representative to reveal both by his words and his life, the father's heart for the world. We're joining in something massive. It's not a small thing to become a Christian. It's not a minor thing that's like, a, well, now I've just got to give up 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. No, something huge goes on the moment you say, yes, I'm following Jesus. And you and I are included in, and God is doing a very new, exciting thing that is rooted in something very old and also very exciting. We're his agents, we're his representatives. So with our lives and words, we speak to the world, the word of God. And just as God first breathed into Adam the breath of life in Genesis two, Jesus breathes on us new life. Receive the Holy Spirit. How can we dare to attempt to fulfill God's mission? because we trust him and we trust the power with which he has equipped us and as we faithfully speak and live out his mission in our own little small fields of influence sometimes you think this is like the how does what how does that relate like my life is spent with nappies and just kids and homework and Making sure my boss is sweet at work and doesn't get on my case so I can enjoy my weekend without him having to give me grief. My world is so small and so mundane and so, how does this, I get that, that's exciting, but look at my life. It's exactly in those moments, it's exactly in those moments where the Holy Spirit is doing a new work. So you, like, my wife's a full time stay at home mom. She's not really. She's a missionary to the unreached people group that's called the Silly Family. Not even joking. Like, they're wild. (laughs) They need it, man. (laughs) You, wherever you find yourself in, are an agent and a representative of the kingdom of God. You're a bringer of light, you're a restorer. You're somebody who is bringing the very kingdom of God by your mere presence. Repent, Turn around. like honestly, turn around from the nonsense you're looking at and look at him. Believe that this is truly good news. Receive the Holy Spirit and follow. You got song? Sweet. Come back. As we give ourselves to this, we're gonna sing and we're gonna respond to Jesus right now. But as we give ourselves to this, there's something so exciting that stirs us along. I came to join in, it's just incredible. But then look at verse 11. As we give ourselves to this, we eagerly anticipate the day we hear the voice of the Father. You are my beloved son or daughter. With you I am well pleased. (laughs) That undoes me. That undoes me. Like, not because of anything I have done. Not because of anything I deserve. Not because of anything, anything, anything at all. But because my life is hidden in Christ. And because of everything he has done perfectly. One day I'm going to stand there and hear the voice of the Father say, You are my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. That's quite exciting, right? That is quite exciting. No, that is quite exciting. And we get to play a part now.